0: Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the worship that we've had this morning that has set the tone for the focus that you have before us. Every one of us have come this morning, Father, with, uh, out of some dark places. Challenges that we would have never asked for. And I pray that you would custom fit the teaching of your word, the comprehension, the conviction. That you would custom make it for each one of us here this morning. Lord, we confess that we live in a fallen world and it brings a lot of things that uh, can sometimes seem overwhelming. And we thank you, Father, that you're the shepherd. You're sovereign. Nothing escapes your attention. And we submit ourselves to you this morning, Father, as we look into your word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. If you do not have a copy of the notes, just raise your hands. They will get a copy to you. Anybody needing notes, just raise your hands. We need some on the back row over there. Anybody else? Yeah. I'm going to give you, I'd give you mine, but I don't know what I'm going to say, and I have to have my notes. Somebody (laughs) said, it's blank, and yeah, I expect you to fill in the blanks as we go along, Okay you would, turn your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm. We'll get started. Everybody get a set of notes? Okay. One of the most practical, relevant, timely six verses we will ever read. Where do you most frequently hear this psalm read? Tell me. Funerals. This is not for the dead. It's for the living. And it just resonates with encouragement and excitement and hope in a broken and dark world. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. If you want to circle he there, that's good because the whole emphasis is on him, not us. We're the beneficiaries. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though... And it's a given. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy ride and thy staff, they comfort me. And then, I just added that. That's not in the Hebrew. Thou dost prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness Some translations say mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd leads us through circumstances we would have never chosen. I tried to think of a number of titles for this, and I started writing them down. Uh, Dr. Haddon Robinson was my... uh, homiletics professor in seminary. He says, for every minute you're in the pulpit, you spend at least an hour in preparation. I probably did this one on this. half of it was spent in just trying to come up with a good title that really reflects all that it is. But I've entitled today's teaching, Triumph Living in a Dark World. Some of the titles I wanted to use was Eternal Perspective in a Temporal World. Think about that. Living victoriously among the walking dead. My like my wife liked that one. Anticipation in a broken world. Confidence when there's no hope. Can anybody identify with any does this resonate with you? I see nods, heads nodding. Not to sleep. Security in the midst of doubt. A life of hope in a hopeless world. I thought this was pretty clever. Overcoming when feeling overcome. God's faithfulness in the midst of a very dark world. Those are just some of the titles that I thought about and processed and just reading through those it helps me understand more fully the full context of the passage it's one of the most familiar passages it's a psalm to be associated with life not death it's a psalm of absolute security it's a psalm of anticipation in the midst of grief it's it's a psalm of direction when we're lost and confused in a crazy, mixed-up world. It's a psalm of peace in a culture of conflict, and believe me, we live in a culture of conflict, regardless of how hard we try to cover up with stuff and accomplishments. It's a psalm of comfort in the midst of danger, of courage in the midst of being overwhelmed, of companionship when lonely. It's a psalm of companionship when we're lonely. It's a brilliant light in the darkest of times. It's a psalm of trust in the midst of a fallen and broken world. I'm going to begin with verse 4. Let's get the negative out of the road, okay? Before we start. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's not if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus knew that quite well in Matthew or John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But behold be encouraged for I have overcome the world ever since the fall anyone who has focused their attention upon pleasing the holy God and allowing him to relate to us our purpose and, and this character we find conflict and sometimes I don't know about you but for me the more I focus on him the greater the Satan tries to disrupt that with distractions and conflict. It's a psalm of trust in the creator, the sovereign God, in contrast to a finite, dysfunctional world. In this psalm, the shepherd God is personified as Christ. The shepherd is a type of Christ, if you please. The one we look to... When he said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And David here, of all people, knows what it is to be in darkness. I grew up on a farm. I remember what it was like at three o'clock in the morning when I'd be sitting out in the tractor and I'd see a coyote run by me. The only thing I had for comfort was to look up and see the stars and I got so disoriented at times, I didn't know even where I was because of the deep darkness. And then I remember looking out and seeing that sunrise come up. David was in a pasture with this sheep, and he was constantly bombarded with wolves, with coyotes, with prey. And he solely was responsible for the health and the welfare of those sheep. Though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, every night he faced the possibility of death. That was the world that David grew up in and what this psalm is about. Constantly facing overwhelming dangers, loneliness, the shepherd himself. The valley of the shadow of death, it's it's a Hebrew poetic term to talk about the profoundest of all darknesses a very deep place this week I spent time on the phone with a man who lives in another state he's been out of the ministry now for some time he's experienced rejection after rejection pain after pain deception after deception he just discovered that his wife very possibly has cancer they have no job no money and he said, I feel like I'm in a well with greased sides and I cannot get out. I can almost guarantee you every one of, this, of us in this room either has, are, or will be facing that point of despair. It's overwhelming. Even the apostle Paul said, and I really believe if you look at, I think at Second Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter two, the first few verses, I think Paul probably struggled with a bit of depression. He felt like a failure at times, especially when he was writing to the church at Corinth. But he says this: We have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God may be of God and not ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but... die for a bunch of people who hate you but not my will but thine be done and we saw a victory that we read about and read about and celebrate for the last 2,000 years and we try to numb ourselves to the reality the truth of verse 4 we try to pretend it doesn't exist. We have churches that build their theologies around that. If you're facing tragedy, then it's sin in your life. It's you're out of God's will, etc., etc. I've heard so many stories. And I would like to suggest this morning that those of us oftentimes who are struggling the most are the ones that are most in the center of God's will. Because suffering is a very real part of the Christian walk. We try to escape it through sedation. We try to escape it through position and power. We try to escape it through possessions. We try to escape it through entertainment. We try to escape it through sexual fantasies or acts. We will do anything to avoid the reality, the truth, of the fact that we live in a darkened and fallen world. And it points us to the Shepherd. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. A lot of preachers will teach us to say the rod and the staff were used to beat the sheep and to yank them around. That's not true. The rod and the staff were signs of security and comfort to the sheep. The rod was a long rod, about seven feet long, and he would just gently bring it up to one of the sheep and just kind of nudge them back onto the right path. The hook was basically one that he leaned on because if he ever sat down, the sheep had to look around to find him and he found himself standing an awful lot except at night when the sheep were finally... The hook on the staff was sometimes used to put around their neck and bring them out of danger if they'd happened to have fallen into a creek or something. It's kind of like uh, walking down the street and, and, and seeing the police officer. He's got the badge, he's got the gun. All of a sudden we feel safe, don't we? It was, it, was a, it was a symbol of safety to the sheep. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, uh, my, my parents were wheat farmers. And when, when mom had to drive the truck to haul the wheat into town, they'd often leave me at my grandmother's, Grandma Strader. And I remember in those summer days, you'd have those incredible lightning and thunderstorms. Scare the living daylights out of me! I must have been four or five years old, three or four years old. And my grandmother loved them. Matter of fact, she'd sat on the front porch with her, with her rocking chair, and and she just watched. Sometimes lightning would just hit a few feet away, and she just marveled at the power of God. And I scared the living daylights out of me. I remember crawling up on her lap, and she wrapping those big old arms around me. And all of a sudden, the lightning flashed, the thunder roared, and I felt as safe and secure as I could possibly be. That's a picture of the shepherd. So we ask ourselves the question, just how does he do this? Just how does he lead us through the valley of death? That brings me to my second point, our trust For living in a broken world. In in the chorus that we sang before the 23rd Psalm. There was a word that was used. I thought is so apropos for this. It's transfixed on him. To have such a focus on him. Because we know that living in a broken and dark world. We're lost. We don't have the next answer. The Lord is my shepherd. And I'd like to make a. Question there. Multiple choice. True or false? True or false? There's some here this morning that perhaps have never placed their trust in Christ as their Savior. I would really like for us to listen closely to what we're talking about of the love and the care and the sacrifice a shepherd has for his sheep. It's not The Lord is a shepherd, a choice. It's not someone else's shepherd. It's not an occasional shepherd that I just kind of tap onto when I feel danger coming. Uh, Jesus made an interesting statement to his disciples in Luke chapter 9 verses 23-24. You don't have to look at it because I wouldn't lie to you. He said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life is going to lose it. You're on your own. But whoever wishes to lose his life, to trust me totally, throw your life completely in my arms, that is the one that will save it. We've been bought with a price. This is the one who has chosen by his own free will to care for, protect, and make secure those who trust him. The one who has a special purpose for each of our lives, who has sacrificed for us, who breaks that power of sin that sometimes just grabs a hold of us and we can't seem to get out of, who meets every need, Twelve times in this passage, first person, are twelve times in this passage, the focus is on the shepherd, the Lord. What is he doing? To walk me through the passage, to, to the valley of death. It forces me to ask several questions. If he truly is my shepherd, how fully do I trust this shepherd? How consistently do I trust? trust this shepherd? Is he, in fact, my shepherd? Does this shepherd sound like one that is worthy of me trusting and following? Am I willing to trust him regardless of my circumstances? And sometimes they may seem like nothing. My wife would love to have been here this morning. We went out to a little restaurant and got something to eat last night and something didn't set well and she's not feeling at all well this morning she usually she barrels right through it and i was disappointed because i feel so much more secure when she's with me there's not much we don't do together and then i get in my car by myself this morning trying to get on the gps and i'm going down the tollway and they block the whole Whole way off, and I was just ready to bite the heads off of bullets. And all of a sudden, I said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And partly because I'd been spending so much time in this passage the last two, three weeks, all of a sudden, I just, I just felt a flood of peace. If I'm five minutes late, so what? Had a few people worried here, but we made it, didn't we? I don't think there's anything, listen carefully, I don't think there's anything that reveals our level of trust in the shepherd than how we respond to circumstances we would not have chosen. Are you tracking with me? I don't think there's anything that reveals the level of trust we have in the shepherd better than the circumstances that we face that we would not have chosen. All circumstances. Am I relying fully upon him, his provision, or my ingenuity? Are these, are these worthy questions of really considering the level of trust we have in the shepherd? Am I relying fully upon him? Uh, Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 says, There's a way which seems right in the heart of man, but its way leads to death. Is my sense of well being dependent upon the circumstances or his presence? Financially? Relationally? Is my sense of well being dependent upon my circumstances or his presence? I think these are very real questions, practically questions that we have to ask as people who live in a very broken, dark, and confused world. Would you turn to John chapter 10 with me? I can barely see the clock back there. Would you just really wave your hands? Don't pull the string that makes this thing eject, but just wave your hands when we got about 10 more minutes. We got about 10 more minutes? Oh. <laughs> John chapter 10. When I see you, somebody said, you know, don't worry about if people keep looking at their watch, it's when they start shaking to see if it's running that you're in trouble. In verse 10 of John chapter 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. And not just life, but have an abundant life. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees because the wolf snatches them and catches them. And he flees because he's just a hireling. TV preachers. (laughs) I could have talked all day and not said that. He's not concerned about the sheep. But he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. When you're with a sheep, a lamb, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for six months. You know the characteristics of every one of them. That's how well God is on his omniscience, knows me. May I make a, just a side comment here? Richard, I, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but every elder in here, along with Ross, is a shepherd. Think about the responsibilities that the leadership in this church has as a shepherd when you put it in the context of 23rd Psalm. It's kind of a frightening place to be in a sense, the the overwhelming sense of responsibility. The thing is, not all sheep are easy to lead. But I'm pretty confident that the elders of this church would lay down their lives for every one of you. I know Ross would. I've talked to him a lot. Let me take it a step further, and I'm completely away from my notes, and if you need to start waving your hands, then we've done our job. And this isn't politically correct. But as husbands... We are the shepherds of our families. The characteristic of the shepherd that David was dependent upon, everything that's mentioned here, is reflective of what a husband should be to his wife and family. So we ask the kids how easy do you make it for your father to be a shepherd? That's overwhelming, isn't it? It's 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 interesting to trace that all through. Matter of fact, I think even as a businessman, if you're the CEO of the company or your team leader, you're the shepherd of that group. Do they know that they you know them like the back of your hand that you're willing to do anything for them to be successful? This is what the shepherds do. And I could probably stop right now and feel good that we've accomplish something that's practical about this passage and since I'm away from my notes let's just go ahead and talk about a little bit further I shall not want that's total freedom I can go to bed at night and go to sleep because I'm not worrying about the bank account I'm not worried about this I'm not worrying about my my kid that lives up in Detroit, my 13-year-old grandson that's in the midst of a whole different culture than what I'm in, I can go to bed at night because I've entrusted them to the shepherd. I should, there's nothing I need. Philippians chapter 4, my grace is sufficient for any need that we have. Do we really believe that? Wait until we're driving home and someone cuts us off at Preston, right? That's, that's where it all breaks down. What happens when we're on our way home and our, and our mate just says, have you seen that ad on TV where the guy's driving the car and, and his two daughters and his wife has, has got their earplugs in? I love that ad. I have to believe he's a believer because none of that stuff really bothers him and he does leave the stool lid up. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul and he guides me into paths of righteousness. Most would teach that you can trust him to provide the food, the water, to bring you out of the depths. That's not what this is about. What this is talking about is that the shepherd provides an atmosphere of safety for his sheep. When am I supposed to quit? I see, is it 11.21? When am I supposed to quit? Three more minutes? 11.30? Okay. 10 more minutes. You can blank that out of the tape. Those four things that he mentions there, is that the good shepherd creates a safe atmosphere removing all fear. When he says I will make them lie down in green pastures it is a point of safety that that nothing can touch them. They're relaxed. I've raised cattle I just finished butchering a couple of them and I know that They produce best when they are not intimidated by the surroundings. There's four things that he does that frees the sheep from all fear. The first one is from friction among the sheep. They'll go after each other. They have to have that security. They if a, and, and if there's something, another animal around, a rabbit will jump out of the bush or a hawk will fly over, the, the whole herd will panic. He provoked a dome for them, a protection in this green pasture. He leads them besides the still waters. For those of you who have been to En Gedi in Israel, En Gedi is where David, in the middle of the desert, one of the roughest areas you could find, it was when he was being chased by Saul, but everything was against him. He found himself in this beautiful waterfall right outside the Dead Sea in the heart of the desert. And I remember walking up through there and it was like walking into a different world. There was this beautiful waterfall. It came down about 40 or 50 feet, and there was this, this beautiful pool. It was so soothing. There was just something so calming about that. I think that's what we get when we get into God's Word. For instance, I think Psalm 119 is a great chapter to parallel with this, to understand more fully what it is to be besides the still waters. John 4, 14, he says, Who, whoever drinks of this water that I shall give shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall become to in him a well of spring of living water. He restores my soul. Does anybody here get discouraged? If you look at the Psalms, probably three-fourths of the Psalms are written out of discouragement. David. A man after God's own heart. Let's look, for instance, at Psalm 42. This is the guy that has it all together. Why are you in despair? Verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? And then like a lightning bolt, all of a sudden he looks up, not at his circumstances, listen carefully, not at the circumstances, but he looks up to the shepherd, and he says, hope in God, for I shall praise again for the help of his presence, oh my God, my soul is in despair with me, therefore I remember thee from the land of Jordan, and the peaks of Hermon, and the Mount of Mazar. Deep calls at the sound of the waterfalls. Thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. Absolute peace because he made a choice not to look at his circumstances, but rather upon the shepherd. Uh, I have a psalm picked out for every one of my grandkids. For Cade, my mental grandson, I have Psalm 42 because he's a middle child. I'm a middle child. Middle children tend to get depressed tend to get discouraged because they're not good enough to be what their older brother or sister was and not good, pretty enough to be what their younger brother or sister were. We're in the middle. No identity. I can relate to this passage, so I pray this for my grandson often. And then he restores my soul. Even David needed restoration. One of the problems... Have you ever heard of what, that song, Why Are You Downcast, O oh My Soul? If a sheep is cast, it means that it has fallen over on its back and it will die there. It has to have a shepherd to roll it back over on its feet so that it can survive. Total dependence upon the care, the observation of the shepherd and we all need restoring matter of fact in hebrews chapter 10 around verse 24 it says let us continually think at centennial church how we can restore one another how we can build up one another how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and finally he guides me in the paths of righteousness In John chapter 16, around verse 8 and 9, long in there, it says that the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's the role of Holy Spirit to guide us down the paths of righteousness, make us fully aware of when we're off track, the sin that constantly we struggle with righteousness he gives us a picture of what righteousness is what it is to be holy and that's a subject of itself that's something consistent in the old testament new testament leviticus 19 says be holy for i'm holy first peter be holy as your heavenly father is holy we don't talk about that do we but that's one of the roles of the indwelling holy spirit that if we have a relationship with christ he's constantly reminding us of those areas that were off base, he's constantly reminding us a of standard of holiness. And then of judgment, he helps us understand the benefits and the consequences of that walk with him. In Psalm 37, it's another one of the passages. I pray this one for my son up in, grandson up in Detroit. He's 13. He's smart, intelligent. I mean, this guy's unbelievable, creative genius. Exactly, You knew immediately when he was born that I was his grandfather. <laughs> in Psalm 37, listen to this. I share it with him because this is a passage that my son and I talked through through later high school and then through college. You ready for this? True or false? The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. And yet he will not be hurled headlong when he slips, for it is the Lord that holds his hand. I've been young and now I'm old, and I have yet to see the righteous forsaken or the descendants begging for bread. All day long, he has his, I'm paraphrasing here, he has his finger on our pulse, moment by moment by moment, just to meet our need. When I was writing my dissertation, I remember I um, went to a lake uh, outside of Tulsa and there was a big uh, rock area on one side of the dam and I would go out there and sit on those rocks and I would think through what I was trying to communicate on paper and one day my wife brought some hamburgers out and we sat on those rocks and, and we had some time together. I just needed about two or three days alone where I could write We walked back to the cabin where I was staying and I had a hold of her hand. My wife, my wife is so good looking. You wouldn't believe it, right? Some of you have seen her. She's a knockout. She's not the best coordinated person in the world. And I remember walking across those rocks and she'd hold onto my hand and she'd start to lose her balance and all of a sudden she'd start to fall and I had her hand. No way was I going to let her fall. I don't care what the circumstances, what the valley is, it is he who has that hand. He leads us in paths of righteousness. He guides us. He restores our soul. And interesting, there's a little phrase toward the end of that for his namesake. He's betting his reputation, his name on the fact that we're going to respond as sheep. <sighs> I get a chill up my spine when I think about that. Delight thyself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I have a whole much more here I want to say. I will... Uh, Before I hit the last point, I want to mention this. For those of you who have been to uh, Israel or are going to Israel, go to Jerusalem to the uh, American Colony Restaurant. In the lobby of the American Colony Restaurant, you'll see um, a sketchy handwritten pencil paper behind a glass case on the wall. That was written by a very successful attorney and businessman in um, Chicago. He was married to a woman by the name of Anne. This guy's name is Horatio uh, Pettish. In nineteen seventy in eighteen seventy one, they're, they had five children. In 1971, their son died of pneumonia. Within that year, the Chicago, the Chicago Fire wrapped, wiped out his entire business. And they were planning a trip in 1970, or 1873 to go to Europe. His business had been restored. They had suffered through the death of their son. And they were taking a family vacation and they were taking a a French uh, ocean liner to Europe. The last minute he was delayed because of a business deal, so he put his wife and four daughters on the ship. They headed and four days later, this French liner crashed into a Scottish merchant ship. Within 12 hours, the ship sank. But the 360 some passengers, 260 some died. Anne was heard praying as her children drowned God, please save us, but if not, give us the will to continue. The wire came to Horatio. And immediately he took the first liner out of Chicago to Europe. Four hours, four days into the trip, the captain called him to his quarters and he says, we're hovering right now over the place where your wife or where your four daughters died. It was then that he began to pen the hymn that you and I have heard so many times. It is well with my soul when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet through trials may come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well. And Lord haste the day. When the faith shall be sight. And the clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trump shall resound. And the Lord shall descend. Even so. It is well with my soul. To be able to face those dark valleys, to be able to not see them as something that can overwhelm you, but one that we have overcome because we have our fixation on the shepherd. And he's there for one reason, to protect, to save, and walk us through the valley of the shadow of death. And the trumpet triumph is found in the last part of the verse, the last two verses. And I call it an eternal perspective. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Do you know what that means? It doesn't happen in isolation. He has given his power to walk us through those dark times so that those who question us may see something unique about us. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. That is a, a, a refreshing, it's, a, it's an encouraging thing that they did in the Old Testament and my cup overflows surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever have you ever noticed that when you really had a rough time uh, for three or four months and and you just feel like every day gets a little bit darker, and all of a sudden you realize that you've planned vacation all of a sudden it gives you hope doesn't it I can get through this because I have hope. I think this is what the 23rd Psalm is about. It's hope. Is to live triumphant in a very dark world. As we focus on the shepherd let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for what we don't deserve. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you're trustworthy, and I pray, Father, that we'll walk out of here today encouraged, knowing that you truly are our shepherd. It's in Christ's name we pray.